Hello and welcome to On the Board. I'm your host, Mike Fast. Thanks for joining us today. On the Board is a collegiate and professional football podcast where I'll discuss with you the latest football storylines and trends, and where we'll go in depth in the NFL draft, the recruiting process that pros undergo, the combine, and so forth. But as of right now, being in late May, we're looking forward to the NFL season. And though it is the NFL offseason, there is news to note. And today's news is that Eric DaCosta, general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, was just named the Sporting News Executive of the Year. If you follow the Ravens, you've known that they always drafted well. Starting in 1996 with Ozzie Newsome, their first two picks, as you may be aware, Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis. That's quite a a first round, much less a first first round for any executive at any time in their career. Speaking of that year, 1996, that's when the subject of our podcast today, Eric DaCosta, joined the Ravens as an intern in 1996. DaCosta started as an intern after mailing out letters to each and every NFL team. That's all he knew was to hustle and to grind. And knowing that, there's no surprise that he was named the top of his field this week. DaCosta went on to be with the Ravens, obviously, for the rest of his career. But in 2003, he was promoted to the director of college scouting. And that year is significant because as the director of college scouting, his first pick although he didn't solely make it, the first pick as director of college scouting, Terrell Suggs. Now, Terrell Suggs is a borderline Hall of Famer, but he's been named AP Defensive Player of the Year. He's won a Super Bowl. Uh, he has over 100 sacks in his career. So he is very, very much accomplished. And that was one of the very first picks DaCosta had a major hand in making. He went on to be the director of player personnel in 2009 and then assistant GM in 2012. Of course, the Ravens won the Super Bowl after the 2012 season. So as you can see, there's been a trend developing. Eric DaCosta gets more responsibility. The team does well. And again, it goes back to his foundation of grinding and earning everything he has and learning and taking his time and doing it the right way. I've lost count of how many general manager offers he got at other, or four other teams, I should say. But he always knew he was going to be with the Ravens. In fact, it says on the team's website, when he was younger, he had an eye for building a football team. He followed, actually, the Cowboys as a youngster. And he said, quote, doing things differently than all the other teams did back then really appealed to me. So he saw the Cowboys building their great teams, doing it a bit differently. Well, what do you know? How have the Ravens been winning recently? Lamar Jackson running the ball. That is not today's NFL. That kind of play is in the minority in terms of styles. But again, that pedigree of DaCosta is coming to fruition. So Eric DaCosta worked his way up in the Ravens. 
He's having a great year already, not having to trade, but still getting the top player at the top need in the draft just a few weeks ago, Patrick Queen, the, the inside linebacker from LSU. Got another one, Malik Harrison, who could also potentially start, and got all kinds of other valuable players. DaCosta, speaking of which, learned not only how to evaluate players, but how to evaluate trades. In fact, that was one of his earliest tasks as a member of the Ravens front office, was to evaluate trade process and values of trades. So again, what he did early on, 20-odd years ago, is paying big-time dividends now. For example, last year, traded Jermaine Illuminor for a third-round pick, Kyer Vedvik, a punter-slash-kicker that, quite frankly, was never going to even play for the team for a fifth-round pick, and Alex Lewis, once a starter but had a lot of injury problems, traded him for a seventh-round pick. In order, what those picks represented, the third-rounder for Illuminor, Malik Harrison, potentially a starter. The fifth-rounder for Vedvik, Broderick Washington, a key defensive line backup. And Geno Stone, the seventh-rounder they got from the Alex Lewis deal, a valuable safety backup. So for those three players that really weren't even going to be part of the 2019 Ravens, DaCosta got a borderline starter, if not three solid backups in this year's draft. Let's flip it to the other side. Instead of trading players away, let's see who he acquired. Mark Ingram, starter, 15 total touchdowns in his very first year as the Ravens, with the Ravens, I should say. Earl Thomas, you mentioned his name in NFL circles, instant respect. As a matter of fact, I was at the team's first practice after the draft last year, April 29th, I believe it was, and just running through drills. You could see the respect that Earl Thomas commanded from day one. Earl Thomas quickly earned some respect in that locker room. And then Marcus Peters came on for the last 10 games of the season last year. And this, I think, was DaCosta's best move. I remember, DaCosta, yes, he had learning, he'd been learning under Ozzie Newsome. He'd, he'd been integral in all the front office decisions for many years, even though he didn't technically have the title of GM. But in his very first year, one year, one executive of the year award. But looking forward, having accomplished so much already, you've got to wonder how good is he and this team going to be when he gets two, three, five, potentially 10 years under his belt in this role. I mean, it's pretty scary when you think about it if you're another team. Great if you're a Ravens fan, but if you're another team, knowing that they tried to throw all kinds of money and status and power at him and he didn't budge and he wanted to stay with the Ravens. And now, imagine what he can do now that he finally has the job he's always wanted. But coming back to Marcus Peters, I think this is DaCosta's best move because I believe Marcus Peters is a defensive player of the year candidate. If you think about it, he is... 
just getting used to this defense. He started mid-year in his first game at Seattle, no less, against Russell Wilson, one of the very best, not just quarterbacks, the very best players in the league, probably a top 10 player overall in the league, if you ask anybody. Peters picked him off, took it to the house. On his first game, I'm sure hardly even knowing the defense. Imagine what a full offseason can do and the motivation of losing in that first playoff game against the Titans will do to, to a player like him who's already extremely motivated. So you get Marcus Peters for Kenny Young, a middle linebacker who wasn't fulfilling the role the Ravens had hoped he would in a fifth round pick. That's a pretty good bargain if you're the Ravens. Peters comes in, and like I said, in 10 games, 10 passes defensed, 3 interceptions, 2 touchdowns, and 39 tackles. That's a decent season, let alone 10 game span. So again, you have Marcus Peters, you have Earl Thomas, half of the secondary, and then, oh, by the way, also have Chuck Clark, who signed an extension, and of course, Marlon Humphrey, one of the best young corners in the game. So the Ravens secondary is set. They got defensive line help, they got linebacker help, you know, they got wide receiver help in the draft, they got offensive line help in the draft. They kept Nick Boyle, they have Mark Andrews, yes, they traded away Hayden Hurst, but that is not going to significantly hamper this team. Hayden Hurst wasn't in the top three options for this offense. Depending on how you look at it, Mark Ingram, Mark Andrews, and Hollywood Brown. And then probably Lamar running the ball if no passes were available. So all that being said, Eric DaCosta already through one year, has set this team up very well for the future. And they're set up for the future, not just because of Lamar. Hear me on this. I'm not saying that he's fragile. I'm not saying he's a running back. I would like to state the opposite. I think he's stronger than we give him credit for. His passing is ever improving. Yes, he has a ways to go. But, I mean, he's started a year and a half worth of football, and he's already won the league MVP. So let's give him a little credit. But if Lamar doesn't stay past what has got to be a a five-year deal because I can't imagine the Ravens would decline his fifth-year option. But if he doesn't stay past the five years, I can't imagine it's going to be because of ineffectiveness. I would have to think it's because of salary reasons. Because three years from now, or just a few months shy of three years from now, if that makes sense, when he hits free agency, if he does, unless they get an extension, He's going to warrant every bit of $40 million per year. When you look at what the quarterbacks are making and you combine that with how effective Lamar has been and you chart that out with a trajectory of where he should likely go in terms of his performance, it's only reasonable to believe he will merit $40 million a year. Usually contracts like that, five years or so. Point being, he's going to want a lot of money. And before that, you have to decide on your franchise left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, coming up, as well as your franchise pass rusher and Matt Judon. Do you want to keep him? If you don't keep him, his absence will leave you with a huge void at pass rusher. One of the only holes you really have on the team, and it just so happens to be a big one, as most people say quarterback, pass rusher, 
and then corner are the top three, or corner or left tackle, depending on who you ask now. But quarterback and pass rusher are usually the top two listed. So Judon goes, you have not much in terms of proven players right now. But if he stays, that's all the less cap space you have to devote to a Lamar Jackson contract. So again, looking down the road, as teams always do, you have to be grateful if you're a Ravens fan because we know DaCosta's foundation was partially built on evaluating free agent deals and evaluating contracts and trade value. So it's not just a matter of his eyes telling him who's a good player, what's their footwork like, what's their tackling like, what's their backpedal like. It's a matter of the business side of it too that he has learned through repetition. As players learn through repetition, he learned through repetition. So if Lamar goes, which, let's face it, is a possibility, maybe not a probability, but it's going to be a conversation. As long as they have DaCosta calling the shots, they're set up well for the long term. Now, looking forward to this coming year, the NFL has stated, Troy Vincent said that they are going to look to play games with full stadiums unless medical professionals direct them otherwise. Troy Vincent, in case you're unaware, is essentially the vice commissioner of the NFL. But I bring that up to mention how the NFL has, at multiple checkpoints, if you will, maintained the position that they will not only play the 2020 season in its entirety, they plan on starting it on time. Sunday, September 13th being the first full day of the 2020 season. We don't know, of course, if there will be fans in the stands, if there will be sections blocked off, seats blocked off, how will they deal with season ticket holders. All those are matters for team presidents and front office personnel to discuss. But the league, again, has maintained they will have this season. It's going forward. And I'm thankful for that, not just as a fan, but as someone who follows the business of the league, you look around and there's so many comparisons drawn from one league to another, even though it's not technically apples to apples. When you look at a product you have and you think about how you're vying for eyeballs and you're vying for attention from fans, the NFL already had the top spot now. You think about it. The MLB's trying to figure something out, I guess, maybe. The NHL has put something together where they have a playoff system in place, but they don't know when they'll restart the season. NBA is going to play games in Disneyland, or Disney World, excuse me. So pro sports are not going to be back for a while in the United States. Of course, soccer has resumed. And there was just an announcement that just after June 17th, the Premier League in England and June 20th, Serie A in Italy will resume uh, their games. Bundesliga has already been playing for a couple of weeks. But in terms of United States pro sports, the stage is open for who wants to take it. And if you know anything about the NFL, they love that stage. So there's no surprise that they have said repeatedly they're going forward with this season. So lastly... Speaking of this season, 
I'm going to be talking about the Ravens. 14-2 and two last year. Broke records all over the place. Got to the playoffs, hosted a playoff game, which, as good as they've been in their team's short history in the playoffs, they haven't had many home playoff games. And when they have had them, especially in this Lamar Jackson era, 0-2. Both at home. So they need to step it. As good as they've been, they really need to step it up. And they know that. But it starts with this year. It starts week one. What other teams could potentially make a run to Tampa for Super Bowl 55? Well, of course, the Chiefs, the defending champs, they're going to be in strong position. Anytime you have a player like Patrick Mahomes, regardless of who else you have on your team, you're going to have a shot. And they, of course, have many other very good players. Andy Reid, one of the very best coaches in the league, He's not getting worse, folks. He's only going to get better. So you have him leading a team that just won. They're going to be in good position as well. Of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are strong favorites in in the eyes of the Las Vegas oddmakers. They could be the first team to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium. You have Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, of course, with Mike Evans and a strong coach in Bruce Arians in a division that, let's face it, is up for grabs. Atlanta's going to have some talent as always, but will they put it together? Saints probably are the favorites because of Drew Brees and Sean Payton, but they're not untouchable. And then the Panthers have a new head coach. And look, I like Matt Rule. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm, you know, They could win it. Christian McCaffrey, the third best player in the league behind Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. But who's going to be their quarterback? They got rid of Cam Newton, and regardless of what you think on Cam Newton, voiding out that consistency at that most important position for so many years will take some time to get used to. So the Ravens, Chiefs, Buccaneers, you know, it's it's going to be a, a very, very interesting year for many reasons, but it's too early to make a prediction. But right now we kind of just have to go by potential contenders. So that's going to do it for this episode of On the Board. I want to thank you for listening. And I appreciate any comments or reviews, shares, of course, would be great. And as we look to June, training camp is still a little less than two months away. But again, once that happens, full tilt, we're ready to go. So I just want to leave you with this. I hope you and your family are doing very well. You're staying safe, staying sane. I know that is a challenge. But please remember we're all in this together. And this will be over sooner than we think. We want to extend our best wishes to those who are directly affected with the virus, those who are directly helping to combat the virus. And just thank you so much for all you do. Uh, We thank you so much. So thank you for listening to On the Board. Until next time, I'm your host, Mike Fast.